All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, that's where we'll be tonight, Ephesians 3. I spoke with um, Wes, who's coming to share with us in a couple weeks here. Um, and they did confirm what my suspicions were about children being in the service. Probably not a great idea. They'll be very, he won't be too graphic, but he is talking about human trafficking and things like that. And so just a forewarning and maybe tell everybody that isn't here. And I'll try to remember to share something on Sunday about that also. Just it's, uh, I don't know what the age, probably 12 and up would be okay. But below that probably wouldn't be a great idea. Um, Anyway, just didn't want anybody to be shocked and surprised. So it's a powerful ministry, um, but when you go into dark places like that, the darkest of dark, um, there's, some, there's just some reality to the, to the uh, presence of sin and the evidence of sin in, in the people. And um, so he'll be talking about that, which is what we invited him to do. So it's, it's a good thing. We need to see it. Tonight, as we go through this chapter three, I was sitting there listening to worship and Blown away as usual, but um, just wonderful, wonderful worship tonight. Um, and I was thinking about uh, I have a tendency I have a tendency to collect things and hold on to things. You know, I'm pretty good at throwing stuff away because I don't like clutter and all. But then I walk out in my garage and I kind of look at the table that there's really no room to set anything on the you know it's the entire garage thing. It's just full of stuff. Because I'm going to use it, or am I? And, I? and I will, you know, I really will. But it won't be for two or three years till I use that. Anyway, there's clutter, is the idea. And uh, every time you move, you know, from a house, it's a great time to declutter and to get rid of stuff. And for the most part, just don't carry that box you haven't opened in five years at this house to store it in the next house for another 10 years or whatever. Um, I see Paul doing that in, with the book here, with this letter to the Ephesians. That's all he's trying to do is to spiritually come into people's lives and say some things need to go to make room for the new that God wants to do with you. And that is really our walk with Jesus in a nutshell. The salvation alone, we song about God's salvation, and, and I'm all on board, and I'm assured of my salvation but I know that he wants to conform me into his image. And so as we sang tonight about traditions, you know, take away all my traditions. I just, in my head, not just religious traditions that I grew up with that aren't biblically based, um, but just the traditions of being a human being without Christ. All the things I brought into this relationship with Jesus that he wants to just, you know, we, just, we could probably get, let's get rid of that. And let's replace it with this, because I want to bring this into your life, but I can't because there's no room for it. Your heart is full. My heart is full, but it's full of some junk, and it's full of a lot of good things that Christ brings, but he, he doesn't want any of the junk anymore. And so I see that here in chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and so on. And this whole book is just telling the Ephesians some serious deep things to stick into their spiritual hearts to let those things rest and settle and grow and do what they're designed to do, make people better, you know, to conform them into his image. So in chapter 3, he talks about being a prisoner. He's in prison. We know that from 
from his uh, first chapter here. He's a, uh, we know that's where he's writing this letter from, from prison. But he tells them why he's in prison. But not to guilt them, you know. Here's what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how which, um, I'm sorry, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. Now I got to stop there because this is one of Paul's classic run-on sentences. Okay, he doesn't stop talking or there's no period until verse 7. You know, that's the first thing my teacher told me in English class. You've got to put in a period. You've got to break up the thoughts, J.D., you know, because I'm like, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. Well, Paul does that. He's got parenthetical statement inside of parenthetical statements over and over and over again. It gets a little hard to track. Paul says, I'm a prisoner for your sake because you're Gentiles, because I came and shared the gospel with you. That's why I'm in jail. Now, he's going to help them later on and say, I don't want you to feel bad about that. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about that, you know. Um, but he wants them to know that for this reason. Everything we learned last week is what he's talking about in chapter 2. Everything. Because you were as Gentiles foreigners and far away from God, but now I've, God has brought you near through Jesus Christ for this reason. For the very reason that God has brought you near. And it's a mystery. So he's going to elaborate on this thing. Because we know from the scriptures, because we study all of them. I mean, I know we know this. That it isn't such a, what what do you mean a mystery that Gentiles are supposed to be saved? We read about that several times in the Old Testament. Different prophetic utterances about Gentiles, you know. We can see it. Well, we can see it because it's hindsight. When you're reading about how great the Jews are and how God chose us and shed, and all these things that they would read in the Old Testament mixed with, you know, don't defile yourself with the Gentiles. Remember to remove all the Gentiles from the land. Make sure you kill all the Gentiles. You know, David kind of had a standing order. I can kill as many Philistines as I want. And so they got this impression, and I think rightly so, but that was it. It was us and nobody else. Now, there were occasionally, maybe three or four times in the Old Testament, and we'll go over some of those scriptures where God said, and I'm, I, he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus will. But compared to all the other kind of anti-Gentile stuff that they read, it would be hard to make a big deal out of that. In fact, we would even do something like that. As we were studying the New Testament as, hey, you know, you know, that's just one time there. It's an exception to the rule kind of thing. That's what we would say. We don't build an entire doctrine out of just that one statement right there. Well, it's in Scripture. I mean, I know we, it's not, uh, we, we don't want, you don't want to, you know, it doesn't discount all the other things that were said. We don't want to pay attention to it. We don't ignore it. Well, they got in the habit of ignoring those passages. Oh, yeah, Gentiles, light to the Gentiles. I don't know what that means. Maybe to blind them or something. I mean, they just automatically went there. So when Paul gets called by God to start ministering to Gentiles, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for the Gentiles. It was a big deal for the Jews. Nobody liked Paul because of what he did. I mean, he got picked to be an apostle to the group that nobody thought was supposed to get saved. So that's what he's getting at. You Ephesians are special to God. It's been a mystery, but it's always been a part of the plan. It's only been hidden until now. I like that. 
I think that's exciting. And so he's trying to explain to him, you're not an accident, you're not an afterthought, you're not a mistake. This was all intentional, but he didn't talk about it very much until now. And so he's going to talk about this moment. I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. I've been given the dispensation of grace. I remember years ago, some of you might remember that, that on a Wednesday night when I taught this, I bought Pez dispensers for everybody at this very scripture. Because Paul was the Pez dispenser to the Gentiles. He dispensed grace to as many people. And I thought, oh, they're going to remember this. Treated it like kids. We all like, I mean, you got any more refills? Because they were gone by the time you left the room, you know. Paul is a dispenser of grace. And if we could remember that about ourselves, that's what we're called to do as Christians. To be dispensers of God's grace to those around us. They'd knock our heads. We flip our head back and out comes a piece of grace for people. That's the idea. I'm a dispenser of grace, he says, for you. And he's proud of it. He doesn't want him to feel bad about it. He's not like, and then I, I got picked to the second group of people, the Jews. Yeah, they got all the good guys. And then they said, Paul, why don't you go talk to the Gentiles? No, it's not like that. It's a mystery. And here's the parenthetical statement. As I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he talks about this mystery. Let me read a couple passages to you about this mystery. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, Paul says to Timothy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was met, in this, so he explains it. Okay, thank you. know, every time it says that, this is just before I go any further, when the Bible says there's a, and here's the mystery, and then there's a colon, man, underline whatever's after that colon, because he's going to explain something that's never been understood before from anybody in the history of mankind. Okay, so it's a big deal. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, colon. I want that. God was manifested in the flesh. The Bible never says that Jesus was God. It absolutely does. Right here. Jesus never claimed deity. He absolutely does. Right here. Jesus is God. Manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen by angels. Preached among Gentiles. Believed on in the world. Received up in glory. It's almost like step by step by step how it all unfolded, the mystery of godliness. You notice it doesn't say anything about our participation. My godliness is in Christ Jesus. As Paul's been saying over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, my godliness is in him. He, God, manifested himself in the flesh. He justifies by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles did, here's the work that the world says is work, it's not, believed on in the world, and then received up into glory. That's it. That's a mystery. Romans eleven twenty five. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there he gives us a little insight into one of the mysteries. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Yes, Israel's blind to their Messiah at this time, but that's not going to be permanent. It's temporary. And that's so that you Gentiles can believe. And so you need to read all of Romans 11 to understand what he's talking about. 
maybe you know, but he's talking about how Jews aren't forsaken. God hasn't switched teams. We tried the Israel, forget them, we're going to go with the Gentiles. No, everybody's coming to Christ. They're just blinded right now because they refuse to see Jesus, their Messiah. In fact, if you go to Israel today, they're, they're more than happy as a Jewish guide to take you to all the sites because Jesus is the Gentile Messiah. You know how many gospel messages all those bus guys have heard over the last 30 years of their careers? I mean, that is the mission of all 56 people on the bus is to get that Jewish guide saved. And they'll nod and they'll smile and they say, yes, yes, yes. But in their minds, I want you to know where they're coming from. They believe that Jesus is the Gentile Messiah. They're still waiting for theirs. As if there's two. And that's just how they justify it in their head. So that's what you got to break through if you're ever ministering to them is to try to figure out how to teach them that, no, Jesus is your Messiah. And they've heard scripture after scripture after scripture. You talk about a hard target. That's a hard target right there. Anyway. That's temporary, Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles. And that's when we see the great tribulation take place. That's the final seven years for Israel to receive their Messiah, Jesus. Chapter 6 through 19 in the book of Revelation. And that's when the fullness happens. And we're waiting for that fullness. Anyway, Romans chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, that's the revealing, of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. It's been a mystery since the dawn of time, and yet now, at this time, Paul says, it's being revealed to you by the prophet. It's like the scriptures are being opened. They read it, but they read over it. Anybody ever do that when you're studying the Bible? It's like, I've read that a thousand times. How come today I'm getting it? You know, I'm just learning this now. That happens to me all the time. I get so frustrated with myself. I mean, how many times have I taught through the Bible and I'm reading, I'm like, oh my goodness, wow, that's, I've read that a lot. And I just got it now. I'm kind of thick. No, it's just the Holy Spirit revealing different things at different times for different people. He says, this is the time. Now it's being revealed, this mystery. It's being revealed to everybody, he says in that passage. Not just Gentiles and not just Jews, but to angels, to heavenly beings. And he's going to talk about that here in a little bit. They're learning about this plan at the same time we are. It's not like everybody up there had this understanding. In fact, Jesus, when they asked you, when, when is the kingdom? When, when are you coming back? When is it? He says, I don't even know. It's my father knows these things. Jesus doesn't know, he says. I don't know how that works, but it does, you know. So when he begins to reveal these mysteries to them, he's letting these Gentiles know something very, very important because what they're hearing from the other side, from the Jewish side is, No, no, no. Jews only, Jews only, Jews only. And now you can understand the mentality of the Jews that came in and says, no, you got to be a Jew first in order for you to accept Christ. It was very difficult for them to comprehend the fact that this has always been a part of the plan that Gentiles can get saved and we need to get saved as Jews just like the Gentiles get saved. It was very hard for them to understand. So, It's now being revealed by the Spirit and the holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs 
of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, or the good news, of which I became a minister or a servant according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Power. I like that word a lot. Um, I got a lot of things going on in my head. I don't think I'm supposed to share them right now, but while I'm sitting here listening to the worship and I'm, I'm starting to, sometimes those things happen. God starts giving you stuff while you're, you know, you're just sitting there and you're kind of meditating. Oh, isn't God great? And all of a sudden he starts laying stuff out for me. And I don't know if it's for a future teaching or what, but he started showing me the, how creation, we all know that creation screams God, right? I mean, that's the short version. I got to thinking, now, why, why did God make us the way he made us? I mean, why, why 10 fingers, you know, and why not eight? And, and I, that's how I think. And, uh, sorry, but I, I mean, my mind goes, and, and, and how come we have to eat? I mean, what is the purpose of that? I mean, you could make us all sorts of different ways. Why couldn't we just absorb nutrients through our skin? Or something. I mean, and I think this thing is no. I want you. I want you to deliberately go get food. You have to gather. You have to put it in yourself. You have to digest it. It's your choice what you put it. And I'm getting all these. I'm like, oh, that's spiritual stuff there. You know. I got to thinking about how kids are born, and I'll stop there. <laughs> but like the intimacy that needs to take place for a man and a woman in order to produce a child is the same intimacy that we need to have with Christ in order for us to produce any kind of. And He did it on purpose. We don't all pop up from the dirt. I mean, Adam and Eve did. Why could he just keep doing that? I make another person over here and another person, you know, and then they just all pop up, but he didn't. He only did it twice and really only once. Adam was made from dirt. Eve was made from his side. And after that, I'll let you discuss that with your children at a different time. (laughs) That's pretty intimate. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about Jesus walking through and, and the woman touching the hem of Jesus' garment, he says, I feel power. I'm thinking of the five senses. I'm like, our skin is everywhere and it can feel and it can sense. Spiritually speaking, we're supposed to be that attuned to what's going on. We're supposed to be able to walk through Walmart or hy or wherever it is you go and just get this sense. Spiritually, we're supposed to be that aware. Power went out of me, you know. I think about James and John going up to the temple and seeing that that man had faith. What? Spiritually speaking, these guys were so in tune with God that they could see people that had the faith to be healed and then would go do it. I mean, that's incredible. There's a lot of mysteries out there. There's power, effective working power that God gives us. It's not doctrine only. It's not knowledge only. It's not study and underlining and memorization, although very important to hide God's word in your heart, but there's power, Paul says. He wants us to be that powerful. And so, some scriptures. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Speaking of the Gentiles being saved. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we have a prophecy there from Isaiah, a a, a small one, granted. I mean, you could read the rest of Isaiah, and it's not very favorable for Gentiles. But right here he says, no, the Gentiles are going to seek after this Messiah. Oh, And here you sit. You're the fulfillment of this prophecy out of Isaiah 11 right now. You are 
sitting here today. Isaiah 42, a few chapters later, verses 1, and I wrote down 1 through 9 if we need to read it, but I'm going to let you do that on your own. I don't think we're going to have time to read the whole thing, but behold, look, he says, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now, how did they read that in synagogue back then? I know how we would have read it. I know how I would have read it. He's going to get him. He's going to bring justice to the Gentiles. I'd have twisted it to the point where I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's when they get theirs. Can't wait for the Messiah. And you can see how easy that would be. That's not what he's saying, though, is it? So, you know, I'm going to bring justice to you. I'm, I'm as concerned about your hurt and your suffering as I am the Jews' hurt and suffering. I see the sin and the, and the, and the fruit from sin in everybody's lives. I hate it all. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Later on, Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Now, they would read that in synagogue and say, yeah, we're going to be standing on a hill, shining bright, and there they are in the dark shadows where they belong. No, no, no. A light set on top of a hill for people to come to so they can be drawn to that. I desire all men to be saved. You can see how they get mixed up and how Paul is, this would have been blowing, blew him away as a Pharisee. Of all people to choose to go to the Gentiles, I'm going to pick a Pharisee who did nothing but study the scriptures and tell everybody how bad Gentiles were every Saturday. You know. Now I want you to be and the power that God gave him. Verse 8, to me, Paul says, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is one of three statements Paul makes. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because they persecuted the church of God. Later on, he writes this verse we just read tonight, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints. And then finally, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He moves from least of the apostles to least of the saints to the chief of sinners in his walk with the Lord. I have written down here from some pastor's conference, I don't know where. It says, don't think less of yourself, think of yourself less. I like that. I wrote it down because it was catchy or something. But it's hard to ignore the fact that Paul is thinking less of himself. Also, yes, we're to think less often of ourselves and more about other people. But it's also important to see as we grow in the Lord, as we grow closer to him, how big the gap was that God made up in Jesus Christ. The the disparity between my holiness and God's holiness, as I grow closer to the Lord, as I understand scripture, the gap gets bigger and bigger. The cross becomes more and more important. Um, Christ is magnified in that understanding, okay? So I do think, now, as much as he considers us treasures and we're the pearl and how much he loves us and we're his inheritance, and he said that, I still can't help but not think less of myself and more of him, you see. And Paul says, 
That's what he's getting at. I, I, I'm the least of all the saints. Now, that would be a big deal to the Gentiles because for a Pharisee who wore all the black robes and would walk around and not want to touch the Gentiles, and they knew what was being said about them every Saturday at synagogue. They knew. They're not ignorant. The Jews would come out of a, a fresh feeling of, of you know, disgust for the Gentiles every Saturday. You know? And they'd walk out and they'd see the Gentiles and they'd look at them and the Gentiles are like, oh, did you have a good day at church? You know? I can tell we were the subject again. I mean, they, they knew that. They felt that every time they'd look at them. So Paul, a Pharisee, a part of the Sanhedrin, top 80 Pharisees and Sadducees in the nation of Israel, looking at them and saying, I'm the, I'm, I'm the least of the saints. And the Ephesians know they're called saints. It's been a big deal for them. It's encouraging. It's so much easier to receive from humble people, isn't it? And Paul's a humble person. He's easy. I mean, he's, he's bold. He's loud. He's on fire. But he was as approachable as Jesus was. He just doesn't sound like him as much, but he's as approachable as Jesus was. We need to be that way. The world needs to know that. These unsearchable riches of Christ. First Timothy chapter 1 verse, oh, I said that, sorry. Uh, moving on, sorry, verse 9. And to make all see, this is the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. The church is teaching, showing, manifesting this mystery that God had to these principalities. That's incredible. The angels are longing to look into all the things we're doing. They're amazed at this. It's all new to them. So when you feel, and I hope this helps, so when you feel like, I don't know that I have a handle on this Christianity thing, you know, I think I'm really young at this, I'm really new at this, join the universe, honestly. All the angels are going, I would have never thought, you're doing great, you know, thanks, I don't know what I'm doing down here, I'm just trying to be nice, it's good, I just, it's amazing, we're just up here watching, go, you know, Go. They're as excited to watch you grow and learn and do as you are. We are teaching everything, everybody, everything that's ever been created, this mystery. God is manifesting it through us. That's amazing. The role we have to be participants, you know, in this, what God wants to do. In 1 Corinthians 4, 9, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. The apostles were on display for the angels. First Peter 1.12, to them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. 1 Corinthians 6, 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? We have a big role. 
We're not just some prize, you know. You're an inheritance for sure. You're a friend of Christ. You're an adopted son, but you're very much participants in this grace. Just by walking this world, if this is all we do, if you just understand and walk in this world forgiven, that's all you have to do. Walk forgiven in this world. That is a light. The entire world is in darkness and guilt and shame, and they've covered it over with uh, bragging and, and, and boasting and, and, and the boldness of, that Satan gives them. But inside they know it's dark, it's gross, it's, it's murky in my heart and in my soul. I'm lost. But I won't say those words because I know when I say lost, some goody-goody is going to come up and tell me about the love of Jesus. And I'm tired of hearing it. If we just walk in forgiveness and understand that that is a light to those in that dark place. And they say, I want that light. And give those people opportunities to come to you privately and talk to you about that. And then just share with them. I don't know how to tell you this, but here's, here's where I was. Here's what happened. I was just sitting there watching Jesus of Nazareth, the movie, and about the third tape in, yeah, there were tapes, VHS, back when I got saved. Didn't have the Angel app, couldn't watch it online, you know, stream it. And I just started weeping like a baby because as they were crucifying Christ, I knew that it was me and I knew I, everything, everything was clear. So I have no idea how to explain it, but I was completely born again. I'm a completely different person. I woke up the next day. And it was all lifted. Now, I still had habits and attributes that were not conducive to being a child of God. And yet, I knew that I was saved. And that's what I tell people. That's all you have to tell people. What happened to you? Walk forgiven. And it gets manifested. It gets shown. And that's what we're called to. We're, we're teaching and, we're, and, and just by our actions. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord... In whom, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. You know, he's talking about access to what? To God. I have, I have bold, confident access to God. I don't think I, I rarely show up in prayer that way. Bold and confident. I still do that. How many years have I been saved? I still kind of creep into the prayer closet, wherever that might be, my car or by myself out in the walking around or something. I creep in, you know, sheepishly still. I still haven't got that in my mind. I, 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 because I don't trust myself, I don't know how to boldly come in without being obnoxious and self-reliant, you know. It's like, it's like a safety thing for me. I just walk in and say, I know who I am. I'm, I'm a wicked person. I don't know if I really belong here, but here I am kind of thing. I still do that. And yet Paul wants to take the Ephesians to this place. He wants to get rid of whatever that is in, his, in their hearts that causes them to not understand that they can come to God. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so therein is the problem. I need to know how really saved I am in Jesus because the confidence is in him and what he's done. It's confidence in the cross, not in the flesh, but in the cross. And so I need to boldly say and not, and not qualify the statement. You know how you do? I'm boldly coming to you because your word says I could. And it says there, I'll read it to you. Jesus says that he can, so I can. 
I know, I wrote it. You know, you don't have to do that. It's amazing. He's just trying to teach him to have more boldness. What a loving shepherd he is. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And that's where he fixes what he started off with. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles, you people, but I don't want you to be sorrowful about it. It should be glorious to you. God saw fit to see me give you the gospel and have the world hate on me like they hated on Jesus for your sake. That's how much he loves you. My tribulations, chains, imprisonments at the hands of these people that don't love God, that is to show you how much God loves you. I want you to feel that and know that. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees to the Father. Now, Pay attention, because Paul just said, the reason I pray every day is this. Tune in, right? I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And this is what I want for you. This is what I pray for you. This is why I bow my knees to God for you, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul prays for everybody. That's really great. (laughs) I want to pray like that for people. Imagine that. What a good shepherd. What a fulfillment of prophecy. A couple scriptures. Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Paul is a fulfillment of that. Jeremiah 23.4. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Paul is a fulfillment of that for these Ephesians. That's why I bow the knee. That's why I pray that you guys may fully understand your salvation and how much God loves you. I love it. How beautiful is that? Now, it says that he's, uh, in that verse 17, I don't want to skip over that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I, I ordered a bunch of books for us. Um, it's, it's a, it, and, and, and Pastor Chuck actually recommended it, and so I bought him. Um, it's a little booklet, it says, in, in, and it says, My Heart, Christ's Home. The idea is that your heart, when, it, when he says dwell there, it means he's comfortable there. He's at ease. Um, sometimes when people come to our house, I'm not the greatest as far as being a host or making people feel at ease. I don't know why that is. Some people I can, other times I can't. I don't know what it is. It's, it's a, it's a, I don't have that gift of hospitality. My wife does. I don't have that necessarily. But um, to, the, to the point where someone can come in, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to someone's house's house like that, where you come in, you're like, I know I can absolutely go to the refrigerator and grab something out of there, and they don't care. They're not going to look at me like I'm invading their privacy. You know, 
you can walk into their fridge, grab something to eat, and sit down on the couch and eat, and they're not going to look at you with any kind of, you know, you're comfortable in their home. They're that kind of people, you know. Jesus, and what Paul's saying is here, that Christ may dwell in your hearts that way. It's just comfortable there. It's not awkward. Well, Jesus, I'm glad you've come into my life. Welcome. Have a seat. Would you like a glass of water? No, thank you. I'm fine. Okay. You know, no, he comes in. He should be able to go into any room in my house. He should be able to get into my fridge, in my heart. There isn't any part of my life that is off limits to him. He can go lay down in my bed. He can go over to that room, whatever that room is. He's comfortable everywhere. That's what Paul's saying. I'm here to pray this for you so that you can move out all that garbage and let God just have his way. If he wants to rearrange the furniture, feel free. If the chair's not in the right spot, needs to be a little closer to the TV, let him move it, you know, kind of thing. Dwell in your hearts through faith. Comfortable. To pray for people like this is how we should all pray. It's a great thing. I, I know we know the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, but if you want to bow the knees for your, for your brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is a great prayer to pray. That they would all know this. Because everything that you have a problem with or they have a problem with gets solved in that prayer. I don't have to pray about this, that, or the other specific scenarios in their life. I can pray this. And it's going to help them in everything that I don't even know about that they didn't share with me. It's beautiful. Now, verse 20, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. My English teacher would have had a fit if I wrote that. It would have looked like I was trying to get to the 500 words in the essay, you know. Very, 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 very good, you know, kind of thing. It's a little redundant, but Paul doesn't know how else to say it. Now, to him, Jesus, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's like so excited he ends the letter midway through it. You know, it's like a, well, I won't do that tonight, but it's like a preacher says, all right, can I get, all right. And everybody's like, okay, we're done. We're at the last verse. Now let's turn over to, oh, I thought we were done. Paul does that. Tries to end the letter here. He's so excited about this one truth. Even him writing about the prayer that he prays for them and talking about what God can do to them by the power that's working in them. He knows I don't have to be there for, for you guys to be changed and transformed in the image of Christ. It's happening. The power of God is in you. He's doing it. You have the Holy Spirit. You've been born again. You've been filled. God is at work in you. It's exciting. So our last cross-reference is Colossians 1.27, and this is the last verse for the night. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here's the colon, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As much as Paul says that we're in Christ over and over and over again throughout this book, that's huge. Because not only do we make our home in him, he makes his home in us. You have Christ in you. That's big. He's aware of everything. He wants to be a part of everything. He wants to be at home in your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul, such a good shepherd. Such a good 
lover of yours to gladly in prison write a letter like this to make sure the Ephesians know that this isn't a dark time for him. This is a glorious time for him and should be a glorious time for them to know how important they are to you. We thank you for that, God. We, we feel that tonight. As we sit here, there's a 8 billion people on this, world, on this earth, how important every one of them is to you. None of them are lost. None of them are not thought about. None of them are missed or overlooked. Just thank you for that, God. You see everything all the time. We hold on to that tonight. Lord, we do want to pray this prayer, not only for those that aren't here tonight, but for, but for us right here in this room. We pray that we would know what is the length, what is the width, what is the depth, what is the height, what is the love of Christ. We want to know that. We want to know the fullness. We want to know all of it. We want to move in power. We want to let you work in power. We want to see that. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. Bless the kids who've been taught and the, and the teachers who took the time to prepare the lesson and give out from their heart to these little kids' hearts um, everything that you gave to them. We pray that you'd fill those teachers back up again, refresh them for the sacrifice and the, and the, and the love that they've shared tonight with our kids. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.